You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Right, number two. I'm doing week two in a series on money, sex and power. If you were here two weeks ago, you know that I talked all about money. So this week, all I'm going to talk about is sex. Sex is everywhere. Sex is everywhere. I went to the cinema on a Thursday night with my wife to see Bridget Jones's Baby. Anyone else want to confess to seeing that one? Okay. See, you are such a wise bunch. That's all I can say. In case you didn't know anything about this, which is the third in this uh, sort of series they've been doing, Bridget has decided to focus on her work because her She's 40-something and single. However, her love life comes back from the dead, and she discovers that she's pregnant. But she's not sure who the father is. Is it Mark or is it Jack? Well, what could I say? What a shocking film. (laughs) I'll be honest, I spent all week preparing on this, and then I thought afterwards, I thought, I cannot believe I've just taken my wife to see this film. If you're going to see it this afternoon, there's no condemnation. I'm just expressing a personal opinion. You see, the reality is that sex is everywhere, isn't it? Maybe you haven't seen that film, but have you watched Friends? Yeah, come on. Who has seen Friends? Who's got the box set? Who, Who actually knows the box set off by heart? You know what I'm saying? Well, if you've never seen it before, it's the story of six people and how they connect. Chandler, Ross, Monica, Rachel, Phoebe, and Joey. It lasts for 10 years. I went on a website this week to find out how many times people had sex on Friends. Yeah, it's those kind of websites you wouldn't want to look at my history this week if you were looking at my computer. Chandler had sex with 10 different people in the series. Wow. So that's one a year with a different person, and he was the loser if you wanted the most sex. Ross slept with 14 different people. Rachel, 15 different people. Phoebe, 32 different people in the series. And Joey, well, if you've seen it, he slept with 51 Different people in a 10-year series. Sex is everywhere. Do you know at this precise second, 30,000 people globally will be looking at online porn? Do you know the porn industry in the world is worth $90 billion? That's 50 times more than the world spends on food aid. 50 times more than the world spends on food aid, they're spending on trying to access sex. I know that we've got Student Sunday. I had never read about this until this week. Virginity auctions. There is now a thing, you can look it up on Wikipedia, where young, tends to be girls, are selling their virginity to the highest bidder to try and get through university. So... If you've got 100,000, you could sleep with me, you get 12 hours, you get my virginity, and I go to university for free. Sex is everywhere. When I was a young boy, you had to go looking for it. You know, it's like newspaper, page three. Now it comes looking for you. 
J. John, he's an international evangelist, says this, our society is reminiscent of someone who knows absolutely everything about the internal combustion engine but has not learned how to drive the car. So even with sex, the danger is that we've got it everywhere, but do we really understand what sex is all about? This morning, I am not here to judge society or point a condemning finger at the church. I am not here to try and help the church catch up with a more liberal society. I am not here to try and dream that we could go back to a more innocent age. In Bible times, there was a Roman saying, women were a necessity, men a pleasure, and goats a fantasy. That's how people approach sex 2,000 years ago. The Bible was written into a society that was riddled with sex everywhere. I'm going to pray because I'm desperately aware I need God's help this morning. Father, we want to come before you. Lord, this series we're looking at, money, sex, and power. Father, I pray that we'd hear from you. It's been so great to come and to worship you. So great to tell you that we love you. We're so amazed by your grace towards us. We're so amazed that you're a father who longs to reach out to us. I do pray that you would speak words into each person that's listening. Words from God. For your glory. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to try and do a whistle-stop tour of this subject. There's many things that I won't be able to cover. I do believe that the Bible teaches that God created man and woman and that he invented sex. And it was good for Adam and Eve. I don't think this is a bad thing. I know we can talk about it being everywhere and different twisted approach to it. I think sex is great. However... In Genesis, when Satan comes to the Garden of Eden and he wants to destroy Adam and Eve, he doesn't present them with a duty, but a delight. Satan's trick was to make the fruit look more desirable than God. And it worked. And I still think that's a challenge for us today. And I think actually Satan throws out this temptation that actually if I could make sex more desirable than God, we end up going for this forbidden fruit. So what are the approaches that we can have? Well, I think one is that the society might say sex is irresistible. How you view sex is shaped by how you view your body. Are you just DNA and plumbing? Are you just tubes and fluid? Are you just glands and groans? In which case, sex is an irresistible urge. The bloodhound gang, their lyrics were like this. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. It's almost like that's the approach. Sex is irresistible. I've just got to get on and do it. They reckon the average guy thinks about sex every 17 seconds. And every guy here says, I'm a little bit above average. I mean, that is the challenge, isn't it? I dropped my daughter at university two weeks ago. 
bless her, how embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? Mum and dad are there, you know, we're all trying to look after her, and they give her the welcome box to university. I don't know if you've got them around here. So she opens this welcome box, what's there for me? And out drops two condoms in front of her parents. Oh, golly, you know, suddenly you think... Because the whole message is when you go to university, it's going to be irresistible. That is what you do. I read this week that 51% of students will have multiple one-night stands. Frank Zappa used to say this, if you want to get laid, go to university. If you want an education, go to the library. This was almost the approach. Actually, what I really want to do is I want to discover about sex, so I go to university. And the danger is then that we have this thing that actually sex is an appetite that just needs to be fed and fed some more. You're going to try a sample of cuisines, look for new sensations. But the danger is that we just eat and eat and eat and we don't realize. I'm not a great fan of dogs, I'll be totally honest. But I discovered a fact about dogs which I found really interesting. Dogs don't know when to stop eating. And that if you just keep giving a dog food, it will eat and eat and eat until it's sick. The average dog would eat 17 tins of dog food until they threw up. You think, man alive, what kind of animal is it? What's our approach to sex? Are we just constantly eating, 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 binging? Do we ever know what it's really all about? Marilyn Monroe, I'm sure you all know the American actress and model, she said this, sex is a part of nature and I go along with nature. So basically, it's irresistible. Sex is is an individual fulfillment, self-realization. Get what you want. That's almost like one way that people would approach sex. But John Piper says this. Living in darkness means seeing God as minimally desirable and seeing his creation as maximally desirable. It's almost like we've we've got into a fog and what do we really understand? We no longer see God. We're not caught up with him. We're just caught up with grabbing a hold of creation. I know it's my generation. Uh, I know I look 24, but I'm actually in my 40s. I just slipped that one out there. When I was at university, there was a film called Indecent Proposal. Indecent proposal was this, this young couple that were really in love. They really wanted to get this, this property, and they didn't quite have enough money. So they took their money, and they went to a casino, and they thought, we'll gamble it all on. I can't remember if it was black or red, but of course, it came up wrong. So they lost it. They thought it was, it was terrible. There was a very rich guy in the casino who said to the girl, who just happened to be Demi Moore, you know what I'm saying, would you sleep with me for $1 million? Would you sleep with me for $1 million? So she says to her boyfriend this, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It's only my body, not my soul. And so in the film, she agrees to sleep with him. You see, the reality is that so often what we've done is we've tried to separate this is something spiritual for something physical. Oh, well, it doesn't matter, does it? If you go to university and you have lots of one night it's just a physical thing. And even Sting, the musician, says this, sex is a spiritual experience. In, in the Bible times in Corinth, they used to have like a, a literally a huge phallic symbol in the middle of the temples, and they would have a thousand temple prostitutes, and almost as part of their worship, they would then just form and have an orgy and have sex. 
This was their approach to it. It's a spiritual thing. That's why Paul, in the, the letter to the Corinthians, says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We've been singing about Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the first thing is, is sex irresistible? The second thing is, it's almost like, is sex just indecent? Is it just to be ignored? Now, you might find this ironic. They reckon now that a third of couples don't have sex. It's almost like they've just become flatmates rather than lovers. Margaret Cho, she's an American comedian, says this, my boyfriend and I live together, which means we don't have sex ever. Now that the milk is free, we've both become lactose intolerant. It's almost like, oh, we always thought this was something we wanted to drink and drink and we were going to have it, but actually now we've ended up living together, it's just no longer there. Boy George, who was a singer when I was a boy, he, he used to say this, I'd rather have a cup of tea than sex. And it's funny, isn't it? A, you, you could almost think, oh, sex is irresistible, or you can actually just think, oh, it's indecent, it's to be ignored. And, and in some respects, the church has historically had this kind of stance. Historically, we thought, oh, with sex, really, it's all about having kids, isn't it? Do you know, throughout the ages, the, the church has banned sex, just on certain days of the week. This is totally true. Apparently, you shouldn't have sex on a Thursday because that's the day that Jesus was arrested. You shouldn't have sex on a Friday because that was the day he died. You shouldn't have sex on a Saturday, according to the church in the Middle Age, because that's to be in honor of the Virgin Mary. You shouldn't have sex on a Sunday, because that's when the Lord rose from the dead. You shouldn't have sex on a Monday, because that's in honor of the departed saints. Which means you'd have been quick to work out that they never did Alpha on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Because that was the only two days you were allowed. In fact, you weren't have sex for the 40 days before Easter, Christmas, or Pentecost. There was only 44 available days throughout the year. The church has, had almost taken this thing as sex has been indecent. Ignore it. Many of what were called the early church fathers taught, actually, sex is a disgusting thing. Jerome, he was an early church father in the AD 300s. Whenever he had a desire for a woman, he was walking along. He used to throw himself into a thorn bush, literally. And he'd come out and he thought, oh, well, at least I've forgotten the woman. I mean, it seems bizarre. Oregon, he was an early church father, castrated himself. I mean, I don't want to do any more on that, but it just seems, what on earth? It's almost like, I so want to get rid of this whole thing of sex. St. Francis of Assisi, we all know what a nice guy he was. I mean, he was the one who fed the birds and all that. Apparently, he used to make women out of snow and caress them to get rid of his lust for real women. I think, man alive, what on earth have we been going on about? Maybe sex is indecent. Let's be really honest. You see a schoolgirl raped this week. Sex just seems indecent. You discover how many children were abused by Jimmy Savile. Sex just seems indecent, doesn't it? 
You read of gang rapes in India of women, and you think, ah, oh, sex is just indecent. Adult prostitution. They reckon two-thirds of the women have been raped and 75% of them have attempted suicide because sex is just indecent. How do we approach it as a church? Tim and Kathy Keller, they've written a book. He leads a church called Redeemer in New York. He says this, actual biblical Christianity may be the most body-positive religion in the world. We don't say, look, sex is to be shunned or ignored. In fact, the Bible describes sex as a delight. And so although some of these early church fathers were saying these things, that's not what the Bible says. We believe in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says this, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or to have any duty laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. That wasn't dusting. You know what I'm saying? They didn't say you can stay at home for a year and just dust the place. They say stay at home and make love. Obviously in those days, that's how you got an heir. And if you went to war, you could die. But there was this thing of actually, come on, sex is to be something to be enjoyed. There is a whole book of the Bible out of 66 committed to sex. Song of Songs. Man alive, I couldn't read it all to you this morning. It says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy in Song of Songs 5, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like dove by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like, golly, where does this go? Proverbs, a book which is about principles. Says this, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with love. The Bible doesn't say sex is indecent, have nothing to do with it. The Bible surely says sex is beautiful. Paul in the New Testament. Ephesians, for this reason a man would leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two become one flesh. Selwyn Hughes, he writes these uh, booklets that many Christians read every day with Jesus. He used to say this, thank God for sex. Daniel Aiken, he's a president of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in the United States, says this, sex as God designed it is good, exciting intoxicating, powerful, living, unifying. The one flesh relationship is the most intense physical intimacy and the deepest spiritual unity possible between a man and a woman. I'm not saying it's irresistible. I'm not saying it's indecent. I'm trying to say, what's the Bible say? I want to be as practical as I can without trying to cause trouble. Well, I like to cause a little bit of trouble. A few things that I would just throw in. I think the danger is that our, sec- our society overrates intimacy. What do I mean by that? I think that we have sex before marriage and it just causes problems. I believe that sex is God's gift for a married couple, a man and woman for life. But we overrate sex by thinking, I cannot wait till marriage. 
And what that means is that you then build a relationship based upon your personal convenience. And so then when things are hard in your marriage, you think, oh, golly, this doesn't suit me anymore. I'm out. I'm shocked how many people have sex before marriage, even in church. And then think, golly, I now struggle in my own marriage. I think there's an overrating of intimacy and we've not submitted to Scripture. I know there's lots of questions. You can ask me any questions you like afterwards. What else would I say we need to be aware of about sex? I think that intimacy can be stolen. What do I mean by that? I'm thinking about pornography. The reality is that pornography brings a third person into the marriage. It means you compare your sex to somebody else. It means sex is devoid of relationship. It becomes like a drug. So I think intimacy is stolen. It's a gift for marriage. And instead, so often, guys and girls get caught up in pornography and intimacy is stolen. Richard Foster, I've read his book, Money, Sex and Power. He says this, for Jesus, sex was too good, too high, too holy to be thrown away by cheap thoughts. It's not about pornography. I believe that intimacy can be violated. What do I mean by this? I'm talking about adultery. I'm talking about those that are married but then pursue sex outside of that committed relationship. They reckon that one in five are likely to cheat on their spouse. 90% of Americans think it's wrong to commit adultery, but the percentage that do has doubled in the last decade. Oh, we cannot control ourselves. It's almost like this irresistible urge. Intimacy can be overrated, it can be stolen, it can be violated, it can be damaged. I'm also aware that sex can be damaged within a relationship because of abuse and violence. I read a stat this week that by 18, one in four women could have been abused and one in six men. It's shocking. What other things would I like to bring to the church about sex? I guess my final one on this practical thing is this. I think sex can be idolized. You see, sex does not make you complete. Jesus was the most complete human being we've ever known and did not have sex. He was single and still perfect. Our danger is that we end up thinking, hey, if I don't have sex, I'm not going to be satisfied. Christopher West, he's a Catholic teacher, says this, celibacy for the kingdom is not a declaration that sex is bad. It's a declaration that while sex can be awesome, there's something even better, infinitely better. Christian celibacy is a bold declaration that heaven is real and it is worth selling everything to possess. So actually, I think, yeah. I'm aware now that in London, something like 51% of the population are single. So I think, surely as a church, we're saying 51% should be celibate. Now, that's not something that's terrible. That's something that's saying, actually, Jesus is infinitely worth everything. I wish I had time to, to go through other material. Way too much to look at. The reality is that historically, I believe that marriage 
shows the shape of the gospel, husband and wife, two becoming one. But actually, I believe singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel, that you need nothing but Jesus. And even on a morning like this, and I'm aware, obviously, we're thinking about students, most of which are not married. Actually, it could well be sex. It's time to be celibate. I'm going to uh, draw this talk to a close. My final point is this. I believe sex is an image of God and the gospel. In Matthew 19, it says this. Haven't you read, he replied, this is Jesus, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this man, reason, sorry, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Sex is an image of God and the gospel. The two become one flesh. This unity is so profound that they virtually become a new person. The word there is joined or cleaved that Jesus uses, included the idea of covenant merging together, two separate legal, social, and economic entities. It's like the two become one. In love, a married couple literally donate themselves to each other. All that I am, I give to you. Sex is a body and soul uniting act. Because according to Jesus, when you have sex with someone, you are saying, I give myself utterly, exclusively, irreversibly, and unconditionally for life. And what this makes me realize is actually that is how God feels about us. God is faithful. When he gives of himself to you, he gives utterly, exclusively, irreversibly, unconditionally, forever. And sometimes I think our danger is that our warped view of sex means we have a warped view of God and it becomes a one-off experience that I walk away from and I'm not sure if he loved me or if he just used me. And actually what we discovered this morning in the worship is the Father says, I love you and I'll always love you. But we're not used to that because we watch friends and they slip in and out of bed with so many different people. And you think, how does God feel about me today? Have I performed well enough that he's going to come back for me? Whereas if we really understand something of the gospel... It's reflected in the way we approach sex. I'm not trying to say, don't mishear me, that, that, that God you know, is three bodies and they have sex. But I think there is something of irreversible, unconditional, forever, for eternity love in this. Sex is everywhere. Is sex irresistible? Is sex indecent? I would just say this, sex is not your identity. And too often we've made it that way. And even with same-sex attraction. Ed Shaw, who's an associate pastor in Bristol, who is same-sex attracted, he's written a book, Is God Anti-Gay? Uh, sorry, he's written The Plausibility Problem. Sam Albury wrote, Is God Anti-Gay? says this, the thing that defines us most in life is not my sexuality, but my status in Christ as a son of God. So that is where I'd love us to go.
Now, I know that I've covered loads of things. I'm aware that people have had lots of different experiences in the room and that people can feel different things. I would like to land with three applications. My first is this. If you are married, I want to bless your sex life because it's a wonderful gift from God. Secondly, if you think, actually, Pete, I'm sorry, things I've done, things I've looked at, things I've thought about, God can forgive you. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. You can repent. You can walk away from it. I believe that. You might need to make yourself accountable to someone. Feel free to do that. But I think for everyone, I would say this. God wants you to know that he delights in you and he'll be faithful. And that sometimes our warped view of, of sex has meant we have this sort of ironic view of will God really love me tomorrow? Is he still going to love me next week, next month, next year? God wants to bless your sex life. Some of you need to repent of what you've done wrong. And God wants you to know that he delights in you and is faithful for life. Let's pray. Maybe the band could come back while I just lead us in prayer. Just before I pray, I'd like to just have a moment of silence. What's God saying to you? I've always said if you feel condemned, I'm very sorry. God condemns no one. If you feel convicted, let the Holy Spirit speak. Father, I want to pray now for a blessing on every married couple in this room. Father, I pray that sex is not an icing on the cake. I pray it's an ingredient of their married life. I pray it's a demonstration of the gospel of grace, of two becoming one, of lifetime unity. Father, I pray that. Father, I pray for all those in the room that, that feel ashamed, feel ashamed of what they've done, what they've looked at, how they've behaved. Father, I pray that when they come and say sorry, I know you forgive. Father, I pray everybody in this room leaves knowing that actually God will be faithful. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.